Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning again. For those of you who were with me in the first hour of Mornings with Carmen, welcome back. For those of you just joining us, hello, good morning. It's the 18th of May. It's Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. If there were things you need to get, you know, accomplished, like the week is running short, not to make you anxious, but you know, a little, uh, <sighs> might be time to get something done if it was like on the list for the week. Um, I have been uh, convicted in the last couple of days to just be praying for the unity of the body of Christ, to be praying for the church um, and every expression of it, for the health and welfare of the witness of the body of Christ in the world, for people who are serving as pastors, um, and for the people whom God has entrusted to their shepherding care. I had the opportunity this week to um, serve as a reference for a friend who is a pastor and maybe looking to to take a call to another congregation. And just, I just, the church has been on my heart this week. The church where um, I have the opportunity to uh, to worship and, um, and other churches as well. So I want to lift up um, some specific prayers this morning in relationship to the church and church leadership. Um, and these names will all be familiar to you if you are a regular listener to Mornings with Carmen, because um, many of these folks have been guests on the show or, um, you know, or they, in, in Rick Warren's case, um, have a program featured here on Faith Radio as well. So we're going to talk about, um, first, a lead off here, a, a call to prayer for our friend Tim Keller. Um, you are aware that uh, Tim um, has been battling uh, pancreatic cancer now for um maybe more years than people expect anyone to actually battle pancreatic cancer. So he's been in and out of the hospital several times just in the past week. Um, and his family has asked that we pray for him. And so we're going to do that. And we're going to pray for those who love him best in this world. Um, I'm certainly grateful for Tim and Kathy and um, going to ask God to grant mercy and grace and favor, recognizing that at some point, you know, God's going to be ready to have Tim home with himself and, so that would be one prayer concern this morning. Rick Warren is a widely known author. Uh, Purpose Driven Life is you know, maybe his most well-known book. He, the founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California, which has got 15 campuses and affiliate congregations around the world, um, is at the Southern Baptist Convention appealing Saddleback's um, ouster from the SBC um, and the debate centers around the role of women in, in church leadership. Rick Warren is arguing for the inclusion in some roles that include the title of pastor. Um, and so in a time that is rife with denominational divisions, um, this is the kind of issue 
that has divided other denominations in the past. And so I want to pray for the unity of the body of Christ. I want to pray for the health and the welfare of the witness of the body of Christ in the world. Um, I want to renew our prayers for every member of every congregation and pastor in the United Methodist Church. They are going through their own process of, you know, breakup right now. Congregations are determining whether or not to remain in the UMC, which is ordaining and um, blessing every expression of LGBTQ plus identified persons. Um, And congregations are making a decision. Do we stick with that or do we leave the United Methodist Church and join some expression of the Methodist family, which upholds historic church leadership um, standards and and, and biblical uh, marriage limited to a monogamous union between one biological male and one biological female. I mean, you know, those are the kinds of questions and conversations going on in congregations across the country. Uh, Finally, among Presbyterians, there um, has been a very public departure from ministry by a well-known pastor. Uh, His name is Scott Sauls. He has been a guest on this show on several occasions. He has been removed from ministry by the regional governing body of the Presbyterian Church of America. Um, Scott has been uh, the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville for more than a decade. It's a church with a significant ministry footprint. Um, And again, I want to be praying for the unity of the body of Christ, the witness of the body of Christ in the world. I want to be praying for individual congregations and pastors. And so let's do that. Holy God, we are a sinful and broken people. We, um, We have failed to live in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as the body of Christ in the world, and we acknowledge that before you today. We also acknowledge that what you have said is true. There is one body and one Spirit. We have been called to one hope, and we have one Lord, the God and Father of us all. Forgive us, Father, for our fractious divisiveness. Forgive us for failing to manifest the unity of the spirit of the bond and peace of Jesus in the world. Remind us, Father, of the way your Son, our Savior, prayed um, that we who have received the gospel would live as gospel people. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he is one with you. Jesus prayed that that unity would be expressed in the body of his believing people, the church in the world today, in order that the world might believe that you sent Jesus. And so, God, forgive us for the ways in which we have marred the witness by our own fractiousness and grant that we might be one. Grant that amazing grace this day. Let your love be demonstrated in our love for one another. Let it be perfected in us in order that you might be glorified and that the world might know who you are by knowing Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you've ever needed a lifeline, um, if you've ever needed someone to um, reach out a hand and save you, um, then you can appreciate Lifeline Children's Services. Lifeline exists to extend a lifeline to people, um, particularly children who are desperate for care. We're going to talk next again with Rick Morton during this uh, 
Foster Care, National Foster Care Month. Um, we're going to talk about foster care. What is it? Who needs it? How can we help offer it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Rick Morton is back from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find Rick and Lifeline Children's Services at lifelinechild.org. Rick, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I, I It is well with my soul, my brother. It is well with my soul. That's good. Um, what is foster care um, and who needs it? Yeah, so foster care is temporary care that we provide for children who are unable to uh, to be with their families for some reason. And that may be that they're unable to be with their family because there's some sort of major disruption or major dysfunction in their family. It could be that there uh, is a temporary need that is, uh, you know, a parent without support is having surgery and can't care for his or her children in you know, in a short period of time. And so there are a lot of reasons that, that children come into the foster care system. Um, right now, there are in excess of 430,000 kids that are in the foster care system in America. And, uh, and there's a desperate need for families to step up to provide temporary care. And Carmen, I just believe that it's not only um, an opportunity for the church. I believe it's the church's responsibility. We as Christians have been called to care for orphans and to care for vulnerable children. And these are the most vulnerable children that exist in our society or in America. Um, when we talk about this need um, in the culture today, how many kids are we talking about? Where are they? Um, and and how are they being served? So there are, there are in total, there are about 430,000 kids at any given time in the foster care system in America. They are dotted across our communities. More of them reside in our cities than in outlying areas. Um, that's just, you know, by population. Uh, about, of those 430,000 children, about 120,000 of them are, are awaiting adoption. And so they're in the foster care system being cared for by the state, hopefully in the care of a family, but uh, seeking permanency through adoption. And so the ways that that people can get involved is they can get engaged to become a foster parent, to um, provide a home for a child temporarily in foster care. Families can step in and step up to adopt. Uh, and, and so that would be providing permanency for a child whose parental rights have been terminated and that child is in the custody of the state. Um, or there are tons of ways that churches can get involved in supporting foster families, in supporting adoptive families, in supporting families that are trying to be reunified with their children and are working desperately to meet the, the requirements of, of the state in order to uh, to put their family back together. And, and, and so at Lifeline, we're trying to bring a holistic approach to the way we mobilize the church into this space to care for children, um, to, to provide permanency for children, but also to, to care for families and to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of families that are, that are trying to get, uh, get back to the place of having their family intact and, and reunified. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Rick Morton. 
here in just a moment. We're going to specifically look at ways that you and your church can support foster and adoptive adoptive families um, and how you can support what Rick just described, which is family reunification. We all recognize that the best place for a child to be um, is in, you know, is in an intact family. So how do we help um, families get back to the place where, you know, they can successfully raise their own children? Um, and then for those kids where that's just not an option, how can we support them as well? More on this next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services, you can find what we're talking about today and lots of resources at LifelineChild.org. All right, Rick, when you talk about... um, supporting family reunification, what are some of the things that families need? Um, Like what's on that list that they have to check off in order to regain custody of a child? I mean, because those seem like the most maybe practical ways that we as a church family could engage. It, It really is an incredible way that a church can get engaged. One of the things that families need is they need, they need parenting education in order to to check one of the boxes in their case plan. Lifeline has actually devised a way to help the church to teach biblically-based, gospel-centered parenting classes for parents that are in the state system. It's called Families Count. We're preparing churches all over the country to be able to step in and do this. But Families Count not only provides a parenting class, it provides a way for the church to be able to step in to provide discipleship and mentoring for parents. It gives us the opportunity to be able to create an environment where in addition to the classes, we're providing transportation and meals and 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 some of the practical helps that families need. And those relationships lead to further engagement and being able to dig deeper into the the dysfunctions that are really causing families to continue to be separated. And so, you know, we've seen things through this program where uh, churches have been able to come alongside parents and talk to them about, you know, budgeting and their finances and help them to, you know, gain ground in those areas. We've helped them to, you know, we've seen churches that have helped parents to be able to to get better and more stable jobs and and things like that. But but at the core of all of it is is a gospel engagement and and really to to recognize that the most valuable thing that the church has to bring is the gospel of Jesus Christ and and that families in many cases um they're not changing because they're not changed from the inside out and so this is an opportunity for us to to get to know families that many times are not the people we hang out with they're not the people that we typically do life with um but we're able to get to know them 
to be able to get to invest in them and and ultimately to be able to get to to present the gospel to them in ways that we're seeing families transformed all over the country as a result of the church getting engaged. Yeah, that last part I think is really critical. Um, this provides an opportunity for what I'll describe as proximity. Um, I might have a heart to, um, you know, to help, to mentor, to disciple, but if I'm not proximate to, if there's not a way in which I can spend real time with a person whose life circumstance is very different than my own, um, then I'm not going to be proximate to that individual. And therefore, there's no chance of life-on-life discipleship. I, my life is just not—I'm uh, not living in the same space um, in so many ways that another person is living. And so this provides for that. And again, we're talking about um, uh, a parenting education process called Families Count. You can find it at Lifeline child.org, lifelinechild.org. You're looking for the Families Count program. It's a program that your church could institute to provide a way um, to engage with, disciple, um, mentor, come alongside families who are currently separated. They have this, um, what's the checklist called that they have to- Uh, It's basically a case plan, a case case plan plan. that families have- that they have to work through. That's usually a, a court-mandated, state-mandated plan that a family has to complete in order to be reunified with their children. Yeah, I was searching for that language. So, you know, parenting <laughs> education is on that list uh, of their, you know, of their case plan. And so, you know, if you've been saying to yourself, you know, our church really does want to engage. We want to find a way to be, um, to be in relationship with, proximate to, a part of helping um, individuals and families find a way forward. Um, it they need to be unfolded into the life of a family that is functional. These are skills they did not learn in their families of origin, and so they're not just going to come up with this stuff on their own. Um, and so maybe this could be a way that you and your congregation could engage your community in a in a very practical, much needed way. Um, and when we talk, Rick, about supporting families who are offering foster care or families who are adoptive? What are some ways that churches can support foster and adoptive families? Yeah, there's so many ways that churches can do really small things that are really within their grasp in order to help uh, and support the foster families that are in their that are in their midst. One of them would be um, having some people go through and become certified to become uh, respite care providers. You know, a foster family can't just find anybody as a babysitter or anybody to provide care for the children that are in their care. And so by getting qualified to do that and having a group of people that can sort of stand in reserve and give a family a night off, that's a great way for a church to engage. Um, Thinking about things like parents night out. Uh, where you give foster families an opportunity and you, you know, create a fun night for their kids uh, and give them a chance to get out and have a date night, providing a meal to a family and just, you know, because foster families are taking on a lot of extra burden. They're generally doctor's visits and counselor visits and all kinds of things that go in. They're uh, mandated, you know, court visits with uh, with their, their birth parents. There are all kinds of things that foster families are having to negotiate 
And so anything we can do to lessen the strain for them, providing a prayer support group around them, a group of people that they can go to in confidence and and ask them to, to pray for things that they might not announce in a Bible study class or in a wider circle and, and having a group of people that are going to, you know, they're going to walk through those things with them. Um you know, one great way and one way that we try to help at Lifeline is uh, training people that are in our, our children's and preschool ministries and in our student ministries about how to how to serve kids that are that are coming from hard places, including kids that are in care. And so part of the supportive environment is helping so that when they do come to church and they are part of our activities, we're sensitive to the special needs that that the kids that are in their home may bring along. And that doesn't mean blowing our, our children's ministry up and, and changing it completely. It means a few tweaks and changes um, that can really produce some amazing uh, help for those families. We have a, uh, if you go to lifelinechild.org backslash foster dash care, we have a ton of resources there and a lot of ways that you can find to help. One of them um, is the thing that I'm talking about. And, and it's a video curriculum that simply workers can watch and it gives them some of the things that they need to know in order to serve families, in order to serve children well. We just want to be well prepared to think about the extra needs that, you know, that these families are, are going to have. Yeah, and the only way that we're going to know what those needs are is if we get into relationship with people um, who who are living this, and you are you are taking us into those relationships. So lifelinechild.org. I'm typing in the words foster care because what comes up is lifelinechild.org, and then you're looking for foster backslash care. So that's what works, right? Foster dash care. Uh, foster. Just type in the word. Backslash Just type in the foster words. dash care. Just type in foster care Google. and you'll get Google there. Google knows and how to find it. Yeah. That's right. And, and Carmen, one other thing I, I, I would want to say in this is, is that foster families in, in many cases are in our churches and we just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of, they're kind of walking along silently doing what they're doing and they're not asking for, and they're not looking for attention. And, and so one of the things that we have to do as a church, and you said it, we have to lean into them. We have to ask, um, we have to kind of, you know, take the first step because by the very nature of what these families have stepped out to do. Um, they're doing something that's incredibly selfless and incredibly silent and, and, and they're, they're not doing it for reasons of, of wanting public praise. And, and, and so I would just encourage your listeners that are out there to, to be attentive in the next couple of weeks and, and do some detective work to seek out some families that are probably providing care for children in their own church and ask them, talk to them, ask them what they need and and begin to just explore ways that you can lean in and serve them. All right. Ask your pastor, um, ask your children's ministry leaders, ask your Sunday school teachers, ask people um, who teach in your public school. Who are the foster families in our church? Who are the foster families in our community? Do some detective work. Get engaged. It is um, National Awareness Month for foster care. 
Lots of resources for you and your church at lifelinechild.org. Rick, as always, thanks so much. Thank you. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. All right, here's a question for you. Who are you? Who are you? Really? And you're going to answer like with your name. But what defines who you are and how do you know who you are? Where did you come from? Why? Why do you exist? And why does that matter? Josh Rasmussen gives not only a lot of thoughtful consideration to these questions, um, he shares the answers in ways that not only can you and I like grasp and get our heads and hearts around, but that young people can get their heads and hearts around too. So I want to talk with Josh about his YouTube channel, The Worldview Design, but he's going to join us next specifically to talk about his new book, Who Are You? Really, a philosopher's inquiry into the nature and origins of persons. It sounds super wonky, but I promise you, it's not. Look yourself in the mirror. Who are you? Really? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Josh Rashmussen is here with us today. He is a philosopher, but don't let that scare you off. His YouTube channel is excellent. You should check it out. He's here to talk with us today about his brand new book, Who Are You Really? Josh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Carmen. Okay, if I were just to ask you that question, who are you really, how would you answer it? Yeah, well, I would say a very, very special being in the image of God. But unpacking that takes a book and That's science exactly right. and serious reflection. Yeah. So um, one of the things I appreciate is that um, you do offer this like step-by-step examination into like the fundamental question of like, what is a mm-hmm. human being and therefore who am I as a human being and why do I exist and how is that even possible? Like, wh- like all of that. But you do so, I mean, this is philosophy, but you do so in a way that um, I think regular people like me can understand. So first of all, thank you for just talking in regular words. I appreciate that very, very much. Um, thank you. I appreciate it that is- you, you could see that and appreciate that. Thank you. I like this. It is not obvious how something like you could ever exist. So I stand in the mirror and I say, like, who are you really? Like, it's not obvious how something like you, Carmen, could ever exist. Let's just jump into the question. Yeah. So oftentimes we take for granted familiar things. Our thoughts are very familiar. Our feelings, you know, you wake up in the morning, you have a feeling about what to do, thoughts in your mind. Those things are so familiar, we just take them for granted. But if you start thinking about it, how do those things come to exist? Especially if you look out into the world and you see dirt, sand blowing in the wind, and you organize that to form structures. How can you form feelings? How can you form thoughts, even in principle? And I want to just say, Carmen, some philosophers who think about this and analyze this, um, looking at the science, using conceptual analysis of what a thought is, what a feeling is, they actually arrive at what they call the hard problem of consciousness, which is one of many problems, leading some to even say, you know what, we couldn't exist. 
there's no way there could be something like you. That's too special. That's too uh, hard to fit into a purely uh, fundamentally mindless uh, material world. And that's because a lot of these philosophers are working out of this paradigm that our world is fundamentally mindless uh, matter. But kind of the point of the book is to challenge that paradigm, to start with the familiar, and then to use careful thinking, thinking about thinking. What is thinking? What are thoughts? And showing that in order for these things to emerge ever, the world fundamentally cannot be mindless matter. And this can bring great encouragement, I think, to Christians who are working out their worldview. But also it's more than that because I say in the book, and this I think might surprise some readers, that merely saying that there's an all-powerful being doesn't even solve the question right away about how you could exist. We need to understand how even an all-powerful being could make something like you. And and this is where I arrive at a conclusion that you are so deeply connected as an, uh, an image of God-bearer that in order for God to make you, God has to make you in a very, very special way that we are more special, I think, than we really understand without reflection. Thinking about what you think about and why you think, how you think about what you're thinking about, like all of that, I think for Christians is an absolutely necessary um, exercise before we can get to the place where where we say, I have cultivated the mind of Christ on a particular matter. Like, how, how could I possibly know that I have the mind of Christ on something if I haven't even bothered thinking about what I'm thinking about and thinking about how I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about? Like, so I really, I appreciate this, not just as a philosophical exercise, but as an exercise of discipleship. Like, I, I think the stakes are very high. I don't think it's just about me figuring out, you know, like, why I breathe, but I think it is, for Christians, um, an, an essential exercise because the questions that people are asking in the world are at this most fundamental and basic level of identity and life itself and where we come from and, you know, like the, the origin, the genuine origin story. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a way of loving God with your mind by mm. thinking about what your mind is. I love how you put that. And it's definitely relevant to our culture. I can give you example after example of people who've written me personally to tell me that their whole thinking about reality has transformed by thinking about how their own existence could come about out of mindless matter. And it's brought people into relationship with God because they're actually thinking hard about how they could exist, especially if they they kind of take for granted a certain worldview and they haven't seen how to integrate their own existence into that worldview. So loving God, you know, all of us, as we're thinking about who we are, how we can love God, it encourages me, but it also gives us resources to encourage others. That's been my experience. So um, in in Josh's book, um, which again, we're, we're talking specifically about his book today, Who Are You Really? Josh, Joshua Rasmussen. Um, you can connect with him online, joshualrasmussen.org. He's got a YouTube channel that is just excellent. Um, and Joshua, when, when we start into this conversation, um, I appreciate that you talk about the fact that there are obstacles to this. People look for, well, not, not necessarily even intentionally look. The world offers up a narrative and it offers up answers to these questions. 
um, and sifting out and sorting through what is true from what is not true is a part of this exercise. So what yes. would be an obstacle to really understanding who I am? One obstacle I see is people sometimes associate with science, which is a kind of authority in our culture to get to reality. They'll associate with science a certain picture, which ironically enough, Carmen, I think contradicts what we're finding in science. But the picture that people associate sometimes is a kind of mindless first matter that pulls the strings and everything else. And this creates a stumbling block because if this is the picture, if you think the mindless matter view of reality, when I say mindless matter, I'm, I'm talking about atoms smashing into each other uh, to produce brains, to produce the feeling of being you. And that the mindless matter is basically the puppet master and everything you do and think. And if you think this is the scientific worldview, then this is going to create an obstacle to having a worldview where actually the fundamental ingredients of reality aren't mindless matter. Um, that you actually have power over your, your brain to some degree, that you can actually cultivate positive thinking, you can cultivate a attitude of worship and gratitude, that you have the power to do that. And to be honest, when I've looked at, well, there's so much science into this, it's not something you just look at one time, you, you research this, you study this, and there's so many corners of the different fields in neuroscience, neurobiology, even cosmology and physics, that are all pointing to a emerging consensus that your mind actually does have power to change and to affect your brain, to actually build health into your brain from the mind, from your thoughts, from your intentions. And so, so the stumbling block to answer your question, I think, is in an impression about what science is telling us. And the way that I try to roll away this, this stumbling block in the book is by using reason and analysis and actually looking at what this, the actual science is telling us, recent science, like in the last few years, about the power of your mind to change and to influence your world. So to me, this is just so exciting because people regularly underestimate their power, their power to think, their power to, to direct their lives. And all of this is connected to taking control of our minds, using our minds to love God, to love people. And a lot of my book, you know, as you say, it's it's a philosopher's book, but it's not purely outside of practical application. It's it's in a way building conceptual building blocks to encourage you that you can actually make a difference to your life. You actually can form a path in your mind and that path in your mind will affect your brain in positive ways. We're going to talk does with Josh next. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely it does. Thank We're going to talk with Josh next, um, not only about that journey, which he has just described, but some of the tools of inquiry um, with which we need to be equipped and which we need to use in order to progress toward, you know, an accurate answer to this question. Who, who are you? Like, really? Continuing the conversation with Josh Rasmussen here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Continuing our conversation with Josh Rasmussen. Uh, he is a professor at Azusa Pacific University. He is the host of a YouTube channel called The Worldview Design. You can find him at his website, Joshua L. Rasmussen. Dot .org his book which we're discussing today is who are you 
really a philosopher's inquiry into the nature and origins of persons. But it's not like a philosophy book that you should be scared of. It is accessible in its language. It's very clear in its logic. And he really does um, answer the question, like, who are you, really? Um, Invites us onto a journey. And right now we're going to talk about the tools of inquiry that, um, that we can use. To, to provide light on this journey into the cave of consciousness. So what are some tools we need, Josh, um, on this journey? Yeah, so people have powers more than they realize. And one of the tools that I invite the readers to use is their power to use introspection, by which you can witness that you're thinking, that you're feeling. And this is a power that's so familiar, but oftentimes it gets sort of missed. It, ta- it gets taken for granted you know, we use your, our eyes to see trees and, and wood and things like this, but we forget that there's this other power, this introspective power by which we're a- able to be aware, even of our conscious ability to see, even our ability to see is something that we access through introspection. And then also the light of reason. So introspection and reason, these are two tools, very, very powerful. And I show how you can use these to analyze recent science and to understand at a deep, deep level who you are, not just what your body looks like, but at the most fundamental level of this question of how, how you could even exist, how you could have those thoughts. So those are the tools, um, introspection and reason. When you talk about reason, I think um, there are a lot of people who have never, never spent time thinking about the power of reason, that it is a power that I possess that it is yes. a power that I can cultivate and that it's not it's not necessarily what the world says is reasonable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very familiar power that I think is a spiritual power. People talk about human reasoning, but I actually believe that this power of reasoning is actually angelic. Uh, God himself, heck, <laughs> come let us reason together, you know, together, that this is a power straight from God. And... It's funny because when people use reasoning, it's a power. We can we can use it in different ways. As you say, it's like driving a vehicle. You can drive that vehicle and you can drive it well. Uh, you can get good at driving through the exercise of, uh, you know, through practice, or you can crash your car. And so as human beings, you know, the human reasoning is the human use of this divine power, if I could use that language. But it's a very special power. And when people use the power uh, badly, they're still using a power, I think, that comes from God. And this, to me, invites humility, but also awe and wonder that we have this special gift that we can use. And we can use it, as we said earlier, to love God and to love others. Um, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this, um, illuminating me, opening the eyes of my heart, I mean, you know, in the process of introspection, um, the role of the Holy Spirit in leading me into all truth when we talk about reason. Can you can you just reflect for a moment on the the role of the Holy Spirit um, and that power in all of this? It's a beautiful question because it connects right up with the previous question about how we can avoid mistakes. And I think there's a humility where you lean on God and God's spirit, like you said, can lead you into all truth. You're using reasoning but, you know, there's almost this association that reason is worldly and that, you know, God's spirit is this sort of religious thing. And one of the things that I like to show in my work is how actually 
everything belongs to God, if that makes sense. So reasoning is a power that belongs to God. And then as you point out, you know, if you're cooperating with God's spirit, that's going to protect you. So for me in my life, a lot of people don't know this about me in my professional work, but in my own personal journey, even as I'm writing a book, I'll have these prayers. I'll say, God, help me to think through this. Guide me, mm. direct me. And I'll get these nudges in my work um, as I'm using reason. Reason is kind of a, a love language that I have. God knows that. So God reasons with me, um, <laughs> but it's God's spirit that's working with me. I love the idea yeah. that reason could be a love language. Yeah. You know, I tell people that my love languages are uh, acts of service, food, and um, arguments. You know, with philosophers, we like to argue towards the truth, hopefully, not not the angry arguments, but <laughs> sets of reasons. Okay. Yes. A reason is my love language for me. <laughs> Yeah, conversation, good conversation, where there's a lot of give and take and a lot of back and forth and the introduction of ideas that might at first seem strange and mm -hmm. reasoning together with other Christians um, to discern the truth. Like, n never was this meant to be a solitary journey. So I appreciate the iron sharpens iron um you know, part of this as well. Josh, what a delight. Um, I love your YouTube channel. Um, it's very refreshing. I like that you address um, very real questions. I like the way that you introduce your website as well and um, and invite real conversations. Um, I feel like this book is, uh, is, is a wonderful introduction of you to the reading community, but I also recognize mm -hmm. there's a lot of non-readers out there in emerging generations um, in terms of the way they access information. And so thank you for doing it all. Thank you for doing what you do on YouTube and in the classroom and um, and in what you write. So I just, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. I appreciate your work as well. And I'm just so thrilled that I could have this time with you to kind of point people to these treasures that I think are just so familiar within us, but that are often not recognized how special they are. So thank you for this. Appreciate that. Um, I am really glad that you exist. <laughs> well, me too. This is one of the Be things that sometimes keeps yeah, me up right? at night. Just I'm so relieved in a way that reality gave rise to me, you know, right? and you too, no, of that's course. Yes. So true. Like, right. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it is possible that you could not exist. And so I just want to really affirm that. And, um, and thank you for drawing us into thinking about that and who we are and why the answers to that question really matter. So what does it mean to be thank human? You. What is a person? Where did we come from? That is the subject matter that Josh addresses in the book, Who Are You Really? Connect with him, joshualrasmussen.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, friends, there's a lot of bad news out there today. I'm just going to go ahead and just, you know, frame it up that way. But, but, and don't miss this, there is good news. Capital G, capital N, there is good news. So whatever the news of the day is, wherever you are, whatever streams across your feed, um, answer in your heart and mind and in your prayers and to other people with the good news. When somebody brings bad news, answer with the good news. When you hear bad news, thank God for the good news. And when you encounter bad news in the world, Bear the good news. Be the good news. 
Shout it from the mountaintops. There is good news, and his name is Jesus. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.